being a woman is not a concept. Um, it is strong and beautiful and in itself powerful. Um, not just the way some female bodies can create and carry life, that alone is super powerful. But every time a woman challenges the status quo, smashes the glass ceiling, speaks up against oppression, I think we take back some of the power of our womanhood. Hello, and welcome to Point of Entry, a podcast created and hosted by the Refugee Center. Join us as we explore the experiences and challenges faced by many newcomers to Canada at various stages in their journeys, transcending borders. Point of Entry offers an exclusive into the voices behind the numbers and the policies behind the actions. Travel alongside the Refugee Center as our alternating hosts, as well as our captivating guests, guide us through the resettlement process in Canada and introduce us to the inner workings of grassroots organizations here in Montreal. March 8th is recognized as International Women's Day. This year, we decided to dedicate the entire month of March to highlight some important women shaping and impacting our diverse Montreal communities. Thank you for being here. Uh, hi, my name is Sarah Jesmer. I work at the Refugee Centre on a housing project. Today, I will be speaking to our two wonderful guests, Gazala Munawar, Center Coordinator at the South Asian Women's Center, and Lily Nicole, the Inuit Assistance Program Caseworker from Shea Doris. Thank you, both of you guys, for being here today. Thank, thank you, you for so having us. Thank you so much, and thank you for the work that you guys do at the Refugee Center. Um, to start off today with this podcast, um, can you guys both introduce yourselves and your organizations, please? Um, Gazala, maybe you can go first. Okay, my name is Gazala Munawar and I work at South Asian Women's Community Center. I've been working at, we call it SOC, so it's a short name, it's easy for me to say it. So at SOC, I have been, for the last 23 years, I started as a stagiaire. I moved to be a community worker, then I become the center manager, and now I am at the position of a center coordinator. Our center is in, has been in existence since 40 years in Montreal. It started like, as a small collective in 1980, where some, a group of young women of South Asian origin felt that there is a need for the women of the community to have a place where they can come meet each other, discuss their problems and find solutions. And one of the biggest attraction for that group was that to help women to learn the language. Because when they come to this new country, new city, Montreal, to navigate the system, language is the biggest barrier. So this is something that SOC is doing from the beginning. Till now, we are giving language classes in both English and French. We are working with new immigrants, even immigrants who are here for a longer time. So we are, our main focus is on women, their empowerment of women to make them, help them, support them to become independent and autonomous. And then we help uh, young children also, young women who are studying in high schools. We have a small project for that. 
that our workers go to the schools to do activities and their activities are more geared towards self-esteem, how to be, have confidence, how to deal with issues, family issues, how to have interpersonal relation issues. So these programs are run by our coordinator of the youth project. Then we have another project that is specifically to outreach isolated women because we have came to know last 12 years before when we started this project, that there are women who are just staying at home because they saw so many barriers outside of their home. They are taking care of children. They prefer to stay at home because they say, we don't know the language. We don't know the system, how to take the Metro, how to find the bus, things like that. They are still staying at home. So we started this project and we used to take our team to work in coordination park extension. Starting, they did door to door outreach. They used to meet women on the streets, uh, outside the school, outside the grocery stores to tell them that this center is in existence here. It's there to support them. So we bring our programs to them. So this is, is it that we are working for the betterment of communities to make them understand what is important to integrate into this new society and how they can do it with our help. To meet people where they're at. Yes, exactly, exactly. Lily, do you mind introducing yourself and the work that you do as well? Of course, thank you so much. Um, my name is Lily Nicole. I'm a non-Indigenous biracial white presenting cis female. Um, I've been employed by Shadoris as of 2019, though I'll admit I've been on maternity leave for quite a while now. Um, Shadoris is a woman's shelter. It's located near Atwater Metro at 1430 Shawmity Avenue. Um, and it has recently transitioned from a day shelter to the only women's shelter in Montreal that offers services 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. So it's open to any and all women in distress, regardless of ethnic background, legal status, social standing. Um, we meet the needs of women in situations of homelessness or at risk of being vulnerable by providing meals, a safe place to sleep, shower, hygiene products, clothing, psycho psychosocial services, housing assistance, um, and facilitating access to essential services. And my role is the case manager of the Inuit Assistance Program. So I serve the Inuit and Indigenous women who access their shelter by providing accompaniment to legal, medical, and social appointments. And I create culturally sensitive programming. Yeah. So we're also trying to meet women where they're at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both of you have talked about the ways that your organizations have filled a gap that have has not been there for X amount of time, for X amount of reasons. And I wanna get into that like as we go through some of these questions that we have today. Um, first off, before I do that, um, this episode is centered around International Women's Day. When, um, when I say that word and I say that holiday, International Women's Day, what thoughts come to mind and do you think it's important to celebrate? And if so, why? I suppose I can go first. Um, so when you ask, um, if I think it's important to celebrate International Women's Day, I'm definitely going to say yes. And if you ask me why, I mean, because patriarchy. <laughs> so because despite it being 2022 and we having made some advancement over the decades, such as the right to vote, a gender bias still exists. 
So not only does mainstream society continue to view gender on a binary rather than on a spectrum, but within that limited view of gender, women and other non-conforming individuals continue to be viewed as lesser compared to their male counterparts, both explicitly and implicitly, I would say. So designing a day or designating a day in celebration of women allows us to take a moment and reflect not only upon how far we've come, but also gain awareness of where inequality still exists within the social political sphere, especially drawing attention to things like wage inequality, restrictions around reproductive rights, uh, international access to education, media representations of body image, uh, lack of representation of women in positions of power, and even perhaps on a more accessible level, the ways in which women experience microaggressions throughout their lives that seem to imply that they're never enough. So this day for me allows us to celebrate not only the capabilities and the achievements of these women or of all women, but to create visibility and inspire every young woman to be a change maker within a male dominated society and to remind non-women that as humans, women deserve the same respect and rights as anyone else. Yes, very well said. So for me, International Women is a celebration of women's social and political achievements. And that being said, as a women organization, for us, it's very important that we highlight this day, not only for the women who has worked hard to bring these issues on the screen of the population, but what women of today are still facing these inequalities to raise awareness. So for us, it's very important because we want women to be independent and autonomous. So celebrating International Women's Day is not only acknowledging it, but we still want that we women, we should work together to bring equality in the society. We are, women are still facing, there's so much violence against women. There is domestic abuse, there is femicide, there is pay inequality, there is forced marriages. So we want to use this platform to bring awareness as well as to continue this fight and find solutions for the women who would stand for themselves. Hey, it's Alina and it's time to get you in the know, International Women's Day edition. While listening to this episode, you may be wondering how you can support the women in our communities and we have some answers. Here are four ways you can get involved, inspired by Amnesty International. Number one, make sure your support is intersectional. Deepen your support to include Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people, trans women, and refugee women of all backgrounds. Number two, stand and act in solidarity with the women who are being affected by Bill 21, which promotes discrimination against women in hijabs. Number three, volunteer with community organizations in your neighborhood. And finally, number four, Take action to support human rights defenders in your neighborhood and internationally. Thank you so much. And back to this episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, to return to the question of what your organizations do to fill gaps and also to have a constant celebration of women, a constant celebration of the strength that they bring forward when it comes to these problems that come in so many sectors of their lives. Um, can you talk a little bit more about these barriers that both of you have listed um, for the women that you serve um, in, in your organizations? And also, has there do you see any change from the time that you first 
begun the work that you've done, whether that be the beginning of the South Asian Women's Center or the time that you began at Street Doris. Um, from the trajectories through this time, have you seen any changes to these barriers that you've listed? Um, and talk a little bit about the impact of your work so far. For me, I would say the barriers are still the same, but it really depends on the person who is trying to pass these barriers. You know, there are women who I would say is a very positive example you have who have learned with our support, with our education. Education is a very key point to help them to know their rights, to help them to know that what they are capable of doing. And also, you know, specifically our communities, they are coming from a patriarchal society. It's a predominantly patriarchal society where women accept whatever role are given to them by the society without questioning them. So after working, for example, I, if I tell you myself, when I started 23 years ago, when I came myself as an immigrant, for me, a biggest barrier for my professional life was that how to balance my private life with my professional life. And because back home, for us, family doesn't mean husband, wife, and children. For us, family means extended family, grandmothers, grandfathers, uncle, and aunts. So for that reason, in our society, back home, we have lots of support. But here you are alone. You don't know people. How to make that connection? How to balance your professional life? Because I want to be a professional person, then I am a mother and a homemaker. So I had to struggle to find that balance to prioritize the things that this, my own struggles and my own efforts have helped me to give a positive example to the participants of my center. Look, if I can do it, you can do it. Language, then language is the biggest barrier. For me professionally to grow and to find resources and help myself, help me to help others. So language was the big barrier that I was able to pull. And then for us, women are still facing those barriers because mm -hmm. women accept those barriers. When it is put on them that you cannot make a decision for yourself, they accept it. So mm -hmm. how to bring them to that point Usually we have to address, okay, let's see, if you are going through this, this is your lifestyle, do you want your daughter to live in the same way? Their answer will be no. This mm -hmm. is how they learn. This is how they learn and they want a better life for their daughters. So it means they want a different life for themselves also, although they will not speak up. Mm -hmm. So we have to give them that platform to them. Okay, recognize it and then go for it. Mm -hmm. And you're saying in yourself, like with your own like career, career trajectory and like learning a language, like there's so much to say about seeing what you can be, like seeing an example of that exactly. and then meeting that in, exactly. in the future. Yeah, it helped me a lot to make them understand because I went through that process. Mm -hmm. I'm not just giving them a false hope, but yeah. I'm giving them a hope that I was able to achieve direct inspiration. Yes. Yeah. Ravi, what do you think about that question? 
Um, I think it's important to note that I currently work in an organization that has an all-female staff. And so um, in terms of the work that we do, it's perhaps not explicit um, in, in terms of team engagement. Although uh, I suppose some would argue that many women harbor some form of internalized misogyny that is often present in the way in which we engage with other women. So I love that Gazala has mentioned that women will often just accept the roles that have been imposed upon them, um, which is definitely my experience. Um, in advocating for my clients, just the fact that I have to advocate for my clients who are Indigenous women who are trying to access care is a barrier, right? It's a barrier to services. And so as I'm helping them navigate these barriers in doctor's offices, in courthouses, in government offices, for example, um, when applying for social assistance or applying for to open a bank account, I've certainly encountered sexism. Um, professional men who will often ignore me, discount my lived experience, assume that, assume that I'm ignorant or will mansplain. Um, and if they're doing this to me, I can't imagine how they would have engaged with my client had that person tried to access these services on their own. Again, them too, English is often their second or third language, right? So much like Gazala was saying, like language, language becomes um, a difficulty in terms of accessing resources. So that, that alone is a barrier. Um, and I was reflecting upon when I was previously employed by other organizations that were not female-centered um, and the limitations that were placed on my advancement, the expectations of me and my role differing from or differing from those of my male counterparts. And this was especially true in leadership positions where I was sometimes dismissed or underestimated, where I was spoken over, blatantly respect, disrespected, um, or times when a male colleague would take credit for my ideas. So um, I definitely, I definitely have, <laughs> have encountered it in different aspects of my life, professionally and socially. And I suppose over the years, I've developed my own strategies for, for getting by. What are some of those strategies, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess in both social and professional environments, um, I've taught myself to believe in myself even when others don't and to trust that I'm competent and capable. Um, I try to make sure that I do my job well, that I keep impeccable records for transparency's sake. Um, essentially, I try to learn everything so that I can do anything. And as a result, I've learned to assert myself by speaking confidently with a firm tone. I remain teachable, but I also feel comfortable being challenged by men or speaking up in situations where I encounter injustice. Mm -hmm. wow. Thank you for sharing. Those are super useful as like a toolkit also. Um, both of you work for organizations or programs that are geared towards specific communities of women. Um, and perhaps we brushed on this in the previous questions or previous answers. Um, or even in the creation, but I wanted to ask explicitly if you could talk a little bit about what makes your communities that you work with unique. I guess I could start. Um, so as I mentioned, I work with Inuit women um, and the Inuit women that I work with are some of the most resilient individuals I've ever had the opportunity to spend time with. Um, so just some background, many of them do arrive in Montreal from their northern communities in Nunavik or Nunavut, which are parts of Canada, so they are Canadian citizens, but Indigenous peoples first. And because of the difficulties that they've experienced there, they often choose to come to Montreal. So some of the difficulties range from sexual, verbal, or physical abuse, 
overcrowded housing, lack of employment opportunities, gossip, increased social uh, suicide rates, the list goes on. Um, the intergenerational trauma that many deal with as a result of recent colonization, such as residential schooling and forced adoptions through government initiatives like the 60 scoop would be difficult, I think, for anyone to deal with. But all this coupled with the many personal tragedies that prompt them to move to Montreal, often without having even secured housing here, often leaves them on the streets. Um, and we mentioned language as being a barrier or a potential barrier. Um, the majority don't speak French. Um, they have limited education, which can make it difficult to find employment here. They're often exploited on the streets by pimps, drug dealers, and traffickers. Um, their stories are often so heartbreaking and full of horrific events. Yet, despite this, each new day brings a new struggle for them. But these women are incredibly loving, full of stories and hope and laughter. And even though their days often seem bleak, these women dare to dream and hold on to hope for the future. Um, and just their endurance and their strategies for, for survival are inspiring and the way they, they continue to practice their culture despite being disparaged for it is inspiring. So I'm always truly grateful to have the opportunity to connect with these women and I continue to learn so much from them in my own life. Okay, for us, as I said earlier, that the society that our women come from, mostly they are immigrants and mostly they are sponsored spouses that they come from different cities and countries, even villages of Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Iran and Afghanistan. So mostly if we look at the demographic of these women, they are not that highly educated. Even if they are educated, they have learned their own language, which is completely different from English and French. The alphabets are completely different and their skill sets are different. If they are educated, their diplomas are not recognized here. So this community, we really need to help them and support them because we know the struggle of the process of integration into a new society. These women, when they come here, they are staying at home because husband is outside going out, bringing money. So she's supposed to stay at home, take all the responsibilities of a homemaker. If she is a mother, then she has to be involved with her children. But many times they don't understand what is happening outside of their homes because children are going in schools, they are living in another culture, they are learning another values. So many times we have seen that they have difficulties in relationships also, how to build that bridge so that parents understand what children are going through and then children understand how to, they can come to a common ground so that there is no more tensions between relationships. So if sometimes if they are educated, they come here with a skill set that is different from here because whenever they go out to get jobs, there are, have you got any Canadian experience? So unless and until they are given the opportunity, how they are going to get the Canadian experience. I have seen so many trained doctors, nurses who come here on a skilled basis, but they are not finding jobs because they have been asked to provide a proof of Canadian experience. 
and they had to go through from the scratch again. Sometimes people are so challenged that they need to bring money at home. They are accepting jobs that are not according to their caliber or according to their credentials that they have done. So it's a, it's a, a global picture that you have to deal separately, separately. We cannot say that let's do it together. For specifically women are vulnerable. They are having so many challenges. Sometimes they don't know who, where should they go. They cannot speak language. So at our center, when they are referred to our center or by the word of mouth, they come to see us. They are so glad to somebody who looks familiar, who understands them, who can outreach them, who can know the nuances of culture that why she's acting like this. So it's so important for us, not only providing services to them, but outreach them and tell them we are here. Like an unsaid understanding between you. Yes, exactly, exactly. So this is how the communities are, for us, it's very important to be there for our community and make them understand and then help them to overcome these barriers and these all hurdles that come in their way to become independent. This is our mission that we want to continue. One of my questions um, to you guys was gonna be, what do you think is the biggest issue uh, facing women in your field or community? And it sounds like you're speaking a lot about this isolation that women experience and isolation, not only physically, but like socially, culturally, and you're trying to outreach to people. Would you, would you say that isolation is the uh, biggest issue that the South Asian Women's Center sees? Yes, it is. It is because, you know, sometimes what happens is isolation can lead to anxiety and depression, mental health issues. And we have seen that. And sometimes if there are not problems within the relationships, then again, it's isolating them. Because back home, telling somebody that I'm going through depression, it's like a taboo thing. Mm. Oh, mm -hmm. mental health issues mean she's, they will not say that she's having like physical illness. She's having a mental illness. They will say, oh, she has gone crazy. So she doesn't want to tell people what I'm going through. If she's missing the family back home, she's afraid of crying in front of others because she doesn't want people to know that she's a weak person. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a big issue. So for that reason, this is a small niche that we have created at the center that we organize programs, activities to get them involved in the society as well as the community, which helps them to feel that, yes, they can do this. They can do this. Because if you ask a woman, let's say, what can you do? She said, no, I can't do anything because the work she does at home, the cooking, the taking care, she don't count them as skills. Mm -hmm. So isolation is a big and the ba language barrier is a big issue that we have to help them to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Lily, how about you? What do you think of that question of the biggest issue to uh, facing women who come to you for help today? Um, for Inuit women, um, I think there are so many. And as I think I mentioned, most of them are rooted in colonialism and patriarchy. So it's difficult to maybe just pinpoint one. Um, there's certainly the stigma that they face because of people's lack of understanding of their history, their culture, and how this all ties into their present circumstances. 
Um, so many people will just think that, oh, they're just lazy or they want to drink without taking into consideration the, the experiences that they have on a daily basis, their intergenerational trauma. Um, there's the barriers to services, as I think I mentioned, including bureaucracy and prejudice. Um, but if I'm thinking specifically about women, um, and I narrow it down to one issue that the Inuit women face that perhaps their male members of their community don't, um, I would say it would be how often they face the threat of death. Um, and Ghazala, I think, mentioned it earlier in the beginning of our interview. Um, so whether it be at the hands of an addiction to drugs or alcohol, often used to deal with their unresolved trauma or physical and sexual abuse from the men that they turn to for protection, so many of these women are either overdosing or suffering permanent injuries from attacks, they're kidnapped, they're murdered. The perpetrators are indigenous and non-indigenous men alike. And sometimes these are their male friends or their partners or their drug dealers or pimps or strangers. Um, in fact, the namesake of Shea Doris was a young woman whose body was discovered after having been raped, tortured and beaten in 1974, I believe. And while she was not indigenous herself, uh, many of the Inuit women in situations of homelessness who are accessing Shea Doris are at risk of the same fate. Um, so research has shown that indigenous women represent approximately 10% of all female homicides in Canada. Uh, and this despite only making up 3% of the female population. So I think this overrepresentation is in large part, the reason we actively try to raise awareness for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Initiative, um, why Shea Doris exists with the intention, of course, to provide a safe haven for these women. Um, and I would even argue why it's so important to celebrate International Women's Day, to shed light on some of the issues that these women are facing on a daily basis. That's That number that you mentioned is so jarring. Um, I have a question that is not on the list, so um, you can answer as you feel, um, but if you were to speak, both of you, to the women who are experiencing the biggest issues that you just faced, so Lily, women who are facing the threat of death on a daily basis, or Gazella, a woman who is isolated at home and has not understood or um, seen a way to get to the doors of your center, if you could speak directly to them, in just a couple words, like what would you say? Maybe Gazelle, you could go first and Lily after. Okay. For me, it will be that we are here and we believe in sisterhood. And our center is motto is that we have to outreach women whoever, wherever they are living. So my my message is that we are here for you. Don't feel shy. Outreach to us and help us to solve your problems. I think I would echo many of the same sentiments as Ghazala. Um, maybe just add, instead of, so certainly, you know, reassure them that we're here, we're here to support them, to provide some of not only their basic needs, but just their general needs, right? So it's not just about low barrier services. It's not just about providing them with a pair of underwear, you know, when they need it, um, or a meal when they're hungry, but also we're here to listen. And in so doing, I think I would ask them, what are the things that we can do to continue to support you so that you're not facing, you know, the threat of death every single time that you leave the shelter? Because they're not going to spend 24 hours a day 
in our shelter seven days a week, even though we are available to them. Um, because for the Inuit women, they do like the sense of community. They are out and about. You know, they congregate together in parks. Sure, they're, they're drinking, they're sharing food. There's a sense of community there. Um, but when the sun goes down at the end of the night, they need to find ways sometimes to make men ends meet, often without, you know, official resources like employment or, you know, welfare services. And so what does that often mean? It often means that they're turning to strangers for those resources, for a safe place to sleep if they don't feel comfortable with their partner. Um, you know, it is a women's shelter. They can't bring their, their romantic partners in. And so sometimes that puts them in precarious situations. So I would say, you know, to, to ask them how we can better support them when they are often out on the street with people who could potentially harm them. Yeah, the answers lie within the people themselves. That's it. A couple more questions for you. What comes to mind when I ask you, what does the idea of power mean to you? Women in power, women stepping into their power, have you ever been in a situation that makes you think women and power are incompatible in some way, whether that be in your own work, whether that be in your own life? Um, what do you think of when I put the words women and power together? I think for me, it's a loaded question. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that power, for me at least, is synonymous with autonomy. And I think Gazala was kind of getting to that a little earlier. Um, so the ability to choose to act or to be without restraint. Um, and perhaps that differs from how many others would define power. Um, but I don't believe that true power can be wielded. I don't think that it's meant to be to influence people or situations. Um, I don't think it's meant to manipulate. I think a person who holds true power would not need to manipulate those around them. Um, so in essence, to be fully satisfied with who you are without worrying about what other people say or do or think about you is power. Um, to be able to access the resources that you need to survive without barrier is power and freedom. So I guess power is freedom from the burden of self or others or systems of control. Definitely, Lily, you very well said. And to add to it that, yes, for me, power means that you have the power to decide for yourself, to make your own choices. And sometimes, you know, women sometimes lack those things. So if you look at a patriarchal society, power and women are two separate things. Women mean us, you have to fit yourself in the box of that role which has been given to you. You don't have any power there. You're just following some, somebody's narrative. Okay, I have to do this. But once you decide, no, this is not my place. I need to spread my wings. I need different life for myself. That is when you, you are empowering yourself. And power means, if you have power, it means you have responsibility. It means you have to be humble. You have to be human. So power means to have compassion, in my understanding. That if you have, you have that position of power where you can help others, you should have that compassion to help people and help others to come to that point that they make decisions for yourself. They can say when it's not something right to say no. 
they should they can say no without feeling guilty and women usually don't say no because they feel guilty yeah i i agree i agree fully i think we're constantly being taught to accept that women and power are incompatible um, we're expected to follow societal norms that dictate how women should dress or act or feel um, and the types of roles that we're meant to take on like gazala was saying there's the management of our bodies um, all of this is meant to strip us of power, I think. Uh, and I think that I would argue maybe that being a woman is not a concept. Um, it is strong and beautiful and in itself powerful. Um, not just the way some female bodies can create and carry life. That alone is super powerful. But every time a woman challenges the status quo, smashes the glass ceiling, speaks up against oppression, I think we take back some of the power of our womanhood. And Lily, you mentioned that phrase, and I wanted to just follow up with my last question um, in the same way of asking what is the word power and what woman mean to you? Um, when you hear smash a glass ceiling, when you hear breaking barrier, what does that mean to you? If you wanted to elaborate on that. First. Sure. I think first it's recognizing that barriers exist. Um, and those barriers that exist have been created by systems of control. So they're meant to suppress women and prevent us from achieving our potential. Um, I think anyone who confronts these barriers is bringing about necessary change. And this could be as simple as, I don't know, wearing unconventional clothing because it's what makes you feel comfortable or as impactful as organizing a rally around reproductive rights. Um, but it begins with being informed. So um, I think, for example, in my personal life, I think I mentioned as a new mother, I have this newborn or eight month old son, and I already sense a deep responsibility um, as a woman to educate him around the unfounded privilege that he's going to have and the unfair disadvantage that his female friends will have undoubtedly face and teach him that everyone deserves respect. So you know, this patriarchal system was going to remain in place for as long as gender inequality exists within any sphere. And I think Gazala really touched on that. Um, for me, it begins with education, I guess, around the acknowledgement of the male biases um, and to promote a change of perspective, maybe in our youth, you know, so that they can grow up to take actions to maybe dismantle these barriers. Very well said, Lily. I totally agree with you on this point because education is the key to bringing changes. And when we say that breaking the barriers, it means understanding the barriers are there and then communicating how to break those barriers. So education is a very key point in that. Also having effective role models in the community. So the younger generation can understand. So we always say education starts from the home. We have to teach our boys what gender equality means because they they usually like you said Lilike, that they have privileges that they automatically learn to, on while interacting that they are privileged to have those mm -hmm. so we have to make this education from the lap of the mother that this is not how the world should be run historically we know society always put women behind they are always given a second-class citizen role. If they, they speak up, 
they have been given names which are not i would say polite way of saying things recently there was a last year in an 8th march in pakistan the women took a rally out and they had banners and the message was written my body my choice and it was criticized by the patriarchal society so badly they started calling them i'm sorry to use this word that these women are using the word because they want to be sluts so it's it's not not polite and easy to hear about it and now they are doing another campaign saying that this year we are helping women to have a rally where they will say it's always safe to live in the parda like in the hijab mm -hmm. so you see when they they see the barriers they try to raise voice they are still shut down right so this is this is that we women has to keep on struggling we keep our fight continue and this will help us for the coming generation to understand where they stand there's a power in the constant choice to yes. fight back and back and back and back and back exactly exactly yeah. you're right yeah these are all my questions at the moment is there anything that these questions brought to mind that you wanted to expand about for either of you something we didn't touch on already something that you wanted to say a little bit more about and it certainly helped me reflect upon the importance of International Women's Day, um, you know, not just in Canada, but across the world. Certainly, um, Ghazala sharing the experience that she has working with women from other cultures from across the world, right? And, mm -hmm. and the barriers that they experience are, are different than the ones that perhaps some of us experience in Canada if we're native to Canada. Um, and yet, we're all still experiencing that barriers because of our gender. Mm -hmm. you know? And so we still have a very long way to go, a very long way to go. And I think maybe people don't take that into consideration, thinking that we're in 2022, yeah. you know, and, but our rights are still, we still don't have equal rights. Mm -hmm. I agree with that too, definitely. Mm -hmm. It has so, to continue. Mm -hmm. um, a question for both of you uh, about the work that you do. Um, for any kind of listener who is either thinking, how can I support you in what you do? Or someone who is thinking, how can I be involved? How can I get a service that you guys are explaining? Um, how can people reach you? Both of you. So Shay Doris, as I mentioned, is located at 1430 Shamani Street, um, right by, by Outwater Metro. Um, so if you're a female in distress, struggling and needing any type of services, feel free to drop in. Um, there's always someone there to, to meet you and accept you and, and provide you with the resources that we have to offer. Um, and if you're looking to support Shay Doris's work in helping these women in distress, Certainly we always accept donations. Um, with the pandemic, it's been a little bit difficult to sometimes amass um, donations of clothing and, and socks and shoes and things like that. So perhaps call first before providing a donation of mm -hmm. materials like that. 
but they definitely always need donations in kind. So if you're able to provide a monetary donation, if that's something you're able to help Shadoris with, I know that they would be definitely grateful as an organization. It always just goes to supporting the women who need essentials. For SOC, our doors are open for women from Monday to Friday between 9 to 5 p.m. For now, during this pandemic, we have a special setup for every worker at home who can give services by teletherapy. And if they go to our website as xawcc-ccfsa.ca, they will find all the workers who are providing services during this pandemic. Also, our address is 1035 Rue Russian East, third floor. It's in the Batomoroyal area near Metro Montreal. And we are open if people want to come and volunteer, they want to come and get services, they want to give us ideas how we can outreach other women. Any way they can help us, they, want, they need help, we are there for them. Great. Thank you so much for both walking through those, those ways to reach you. Thank you. We've come to the end of our very first episode of our International Women's Day series. And thank you so much, Gazella and Lily, for being here and for answering all these questions and talking about your work and yourself. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. It was really a pleasure learning more about the work that you do and yourselves. If you wanted to uh, continue learning more about the South Asian Women's Center or Shea Doris, you can reach out to them on their Facebook page or social media or online. And if you want to learn more about the Refugee Center, you can always visit our website at therefugeecenter.org, as well as you can follow us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening.